0: Welcome to the Life After Life podcast, where we explore our soul's physical and non-physical journey. I'm Majana. Let's discuss angels, guides, and loved ones from the other side. Hello, 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 my friends, and welcome back. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for the emails and messages that I've received in support of my coming back and sharing my story about Brock. Honestly, I sat on that podcast for a couple of days worrying that maybe it wouldn't be received very well because maybe it was too serious, too heavy, too personal, just too. And I do appreciate your words of support. And it also made me do some thinking about why did it take me so long to put that episode out. And what I realized was I was judging myself, condemning myself, and also had a great deal of fear that you would do the same. Because after all, I had a premonition and I did not stop the accident. I also can still connect with Brock, not as much as I would like to, but I do have that sort of a home court advantage. And then I've been on here for over a hundred episodes talking about the afterlife and how we're still connected and they don't leave. They just change form. And that is all very true. But at the same time, I'm going through all the human stuff and grieving and I felt like a hypocrite. So I had to give myself a break and realize that I am human and I have to go through the human stuff as well. So one thing that I realized is through all of this, I needed to talk. I needed to talk about the accident and the way everything unfolded and everything that happened afterwards because it was so amazing. There are so many lessons spiritually and humanly that I want to share with you around that. And I realized that some people were afraid to talk about Brock in my presence because they were afraid it would make me sad. Well, the truth is there are very, very few moments of any given day that Brock is not Foremost in my thoughts. So it's not that somebody's bringing him up and catching me unaware. Now, that does happen periodically, I will say, or a song comes on, or somebody walks by wearing his cologne, or any of those hundred other things that could happen every single day that's a slap in the face that he's no longer here. And yes, it's a gut punch, and it can take me to my knees. And I know that many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I need to talk about him and I need to hear other people talk about him. Rock was funny. In fact, that boy was hilarious and he was so impactful in so many ways in people's lives. And if people weren't sharing stories about him, I would never know some of those things. Some of those I'm going to share with you as we go through this. I was also, and still am, terrified of forgetting anything about him. A facial expression, mannerisms, the posture or the way he walked, all of the little things that we just take for granted every single day all became monumental. So when somebody that you know and care about has lost a loved one, let them talk about him. Let them drone on and on, and you don't even have to listen, just pretend you are. And if you're the one with the loss, talk about it and write about it as long as you need to and as much as you need to. Shout out to my friend, Jill, who sent me a copy of the book, The Grieving Brain, The Surprise Science of How We Learn from Love and Loss by Mary Frances O'Connor. If you or somebody you love is grieving, this is a really useful tool. I really thought that I was losing my mind as in going insane on more than one occasion. I also wondered if I had had a stroke because that is very much what I would expect a stroke feels like as far as your inability to process thoughts and words and short-term memory loss and strategy. And actually there are several things. And this book was very helpful to understand that it's all part of the process. This is considered a traumatic brain injury. Okay, here's some transparency. I am very aware that it is taking me forever to record this because I have to keep stopping. In fact, I got well into it and deleted the whole thing and started over because I still struggle with words. And you may catch me when I don't even catch myself. Man, you think I made up words before? maganaisms? Ha! You ain't seen nothing yet. I feel like I make up words all the time now. All right, I'm going to shift gears again and kind of go back to where I left off, right? I told you that my kids got to the house and I told them about Brock's accident. We just sat in the living room for hours, sometimes speaking, but mostly each of us in our own silence with our own thoughts. Once the sun was up, I realized I probably should reach out to some other people. So I texted my siblings first and this is the exact text that I sent them. I don't even know how to say this. Logically, I know what I've been told, but my head and heart can't comprehend. Brock died in a car wreck a little before three this morning, more like 2.30. The girls and Eric are here. I want y'all to know, but I can't say the words or even talk about it. I keep waiting for him to come walking in the door. Not long after that, I realized I also needed to reach out to my women's group, who is an amazing group of women that meet every Thursday evening for dinner and games. In fact, that's where I was just before I came home and had the premonition. Well, earlier in the evening, as we were laughing and talking, I said out loud that I do not want to outlive my children. The person sitting closest to me, Becky, is the only one that heard, and she just kind of looked at me with a rather shocked look on her face, and I'm sure my expression was the same, and I just apologized. I'm like, I don't even know why I said that. I am sorry, because we're having a good time, and who knew where that came from? So there was a little bit of a foreshadowing there, right? So anyway, I reached out to them through text, which was very similar to what I sent to my siblings. I'm sure I just pretty much copied and pasted. So again, not long past and my daughters and I kind of all at the same time just said, I have to go for a walk. So we all got up and went outside and really still didn't talk very much, but we had to move. So we, we went on a fair walk and when I came back in, everybody needed to be busy. It's like we sat processing as long as we could. So Taylor and Eric were going to do yard work for me, which I was going to do that morning. I would mow and Brock would weed eat. So I was showing them where the equipment was and looked up and my friend from my women's group, Marvlin, came walking through my garage with tears streaming down her face. So a couple of women from my group have known Brock since he was probably three or four years old. And everybody else had met him and talked with him numerous times. So this was kind of a hard hit for all of us. Marvelyn and I went and sat on my back patio. I guess that's when the two worlds started merging. What was surreal was actually becoming real. And I honestly have no memory of what was said and what wasn't said. She just was present. And I desperately needed that. I texted DeMarion, who was Brock's best friend, and he had lived with us their senior year of high school. I knew he would not be awake yet, and I just asked if he knew where Brock had been and said that he had rolled his car on his way home. He woke up, he called me, and I could hear all this stuff in the background. I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm coming over there. I said, well, slow down. There's no hurry. Just take your time and be safe. So he told me he needed to make one stop and then he would be over. I went in the house and asked my kids to let me know if they saw him pull up because I knew he thought he was coming over to see Brock and I wanted to catch him before he came in the house. I walked in the house and saw two of Brock's other friends walking up to the house. I just froze. I thought, oh man, they're coming to see him. They're coming to hang out. In no way was I prepared for that, to tell them anything about any of this yet. When they came in the house, I was still trying to catch my breath and look and sound normal. And I just said, wow, I'm kind of surprised to see y'all here this early. And it occurred to me, neither of them were looking at me and they weren't joking around or laughing. And I knew that they knew. And I asked them how. All these boys have nicknames. I don't even know some of their real names. Brock was Chino. I don't know why. You heard me say D for Demarion. And the two that came in were Beezy and Tamari. BZ worked with Brock, and they were both scheduled to work that night. At some point, I had the presence of mind to call Brock's place of work and tell the manager so that they would not be expecting him. It never occurred to me that the manager would tell anybody else. But he called Beezy and said, look, I know how close you and Brock are, so you don't have to come in tonight. Bezy asked him what he was talking about and the manager told him about Brock's accident and BZ started yelling at him and told him that's not funny and that's not anything you should joke around about and hung up on the manager and started trying to call Brock's phone. Obviously, it just went to voicemail and he called the manager back and asked if he was serious. And when he got confirmation on that, he notified all the other friends. So Tamari and BZ were headed over at the same time. So BZ picked him up and brought him over. The three of us went into Brock's room and were just standing in there talking when I heard the front door slam open and DeMarion's voice as he was yelling, Chino, what do you mean rolling your car? I am going to kick your... And I heard his voice kind of shift as he realized that Brock's sisters were in there. So I'm pretty sure that he knew on some level, but he couldn't accept it on any level. I had forgotten about D coming over and probably assumed that Beezy had contacted him as well. Although he didn't, I guess he assumed that D already knew. I flew out of Brock's room trying to catch D before he got in there and he didn't even see me. He had a wild man's look in his eye and was very purposefully and quickly walking into Brock's room. So I followed him, and he just stood in the middle of the room, spinning, just turning around, yelling, Chino, where are you? Where are you? And he looked at me briefly, just kind of glanced at me as he's turning, and he said, Mom, where's my brother? And he just kept spinning and repeating that, not acknowledging the other two boys in there at all. I finally grabbed him by the shoulders and just said, "D, stop. Look at me. When we had eye contact, I just said the only thing I could say, which was, he didn't make it. This not-quite-six-foot-tall boy just crumpled into a pile on the floor, screaming and crying and wailing, No, not my brother. Where's my brother? He's my ride-or-die. Chino, come back. Where are you? I have to have my brother. And all I could do was sit with him on the floor and hold him. I have no idea how long we were there. But when I looked up, three others had joined, quietly standing in his room, Four boys and a girl, ages probably 19 to 23, very stoic with tears running down their faces. D realized I was looking around, and so he did also. About that same time, we heard the front door open. I don't know how, but D and I both knew who it was. Without any discussion, we both jumped up to catch this guy before he came into Brock's room. It was DJ and his brother. DJ is the guy who Brock wanted to bring on board with the power washing business so that he could always have a job. Now remember that these are two boys who had a lot of strikes against them. And we all met in the living room just before the hallway into Brock's room. All I remember is somehow the four of us all in a hug. We all moved back into Brock's room, and I shared with them the information that I had, which at that point was not very much. The detective had called me before anybody else got there and had told me that Brock's car was unrecognizable, that he had to look around and finally found the bumper and the, what's it called, the the logo, that piece that goes on the front of a car to tell you what kind of car it is and confirmed that is the kind of car that Brock was driving and the color that really meant nothing to me because I couldn't get my head around it I am not into cars and so if I can't see the logo or in whatever it's called that goes on the front to tell you what the car is I'm not going to know so it meant nothing to me when he said it was unidentifiable and he had to look for that piece Brock's friends all went into denial, the same as I was, and the consensus was that it would be exactly like Brock to leave his phone and wallet laying someplace. So whoever picked those up and was driving that car was not Brock. And he would come walking through the front door at any minute with some crazy story about what happened. His friends stayed a very long time kind of wandering in and out of the house and through the house and around the house. And I think everybody just on hold waiting for him to come home. And finally, one by one started drifting away. I was waiting for phone calls for more information. When the detective called I really don't remember a lot of that conversation but what I do remember is for some reason I was obsessed with getting his phone and wallet and maybe that was proof to me that I felt like maybe those weren't really his and I had to see it but the detective said no the coroner's office had those I would have to get them from the coroner and that they would be calling me at some point. I was very aware that I was not thinking clearly, and I remember saying I can't be trusted. My memory and my perception cannot be trusted because I knew I had sort of been jumping realities is the closest way, I guess, to describe what was happening. So anytime my phone rang, I tried to make sure that somebody else was there, at least one other person, and I would put the phone on speakerphone So it wasn't on me to remember the details. I was waiting for the coroner to call and I was keeping my phone with me. And I had gone into the house when my phone rang. No one else was around. And the lady on the other end of the phone was very, very pleasant. And in a very nonchalant, casual way with a very uplifting tone, she said, We have Brock here in the office with us. Do you mind if I ask you some medical history questions? I was still obsessed with getting his phone and his wallet. And so I asked her if I could come and get those. And she responded, no, that she could not turn those over to me. So I asked her if I needed to come down and identify Brock. I believe it was that tone that she was using that really made her sound like a receptionist at a doctor's office. Because using that tone, she said to me, Oh no, ma'am, we would never ask a family member to do that because he's not recognizable. Her words and her tone were not in sync. Those were words I could not begin to comprehend. So I think that that sent me back into the time warp. She asked me again if I could answer some medical history questions. I have no idea what those questions were. And when she finished, she said, all right, thank you. We should be ready to release Brock by end of business tomorrow. I heard myself say, when is end of business? Is that five o'clock? She said, yes. So I said, well, then, okay, I will be there before that to pick him up. Even as I was saying the words, I had the thoughts that they didn't sound right, but I couldn't figure out why they didn't sound right other than, where's his car? I didn't take him to the doctor's office. So is he in the hospital or? Why are they keeping him until tomorrow? And why am I picking him up? But that doesn't sound right. And she was kind of stunned, probably stunned silence. And finally she said, "You mean you will let us know which funeral home to call and they will pick him up." Which did not register with me either. Then she said something about some kind of a service or something and and I said, "I'm sorry." I don't understand what you're saying right now. Why do I need those? I think we were completely confusing each other at that point. I don't remember getting off the phone or how the conversation ended. But as I was standing there, just holding my phone, my oldest daughter came walking in from outside and saw the look on my face. So she came over and asked what was going on. And I said, Taylor, That was the coroner's office, and they said they could release Brock by end of business day tomorrow, but that a nursing home would pick him up. And she said something about a service. What is she talking about? Why do we need any of that? I couldn't even process funeral home. Taylor had to point that out, and I still couldn't get it. I said, but why do we need that? And I don't remember how that conversation ended either. I remember very little from the rest of that day. Both of my sisters came, one from Oklahoma and one from Florida. I do recall two statements that I made because I was terrified even thinking about them. Talking to my sisters, I said, I need Brock to come home. I don't want him to just be a memory. And I remember it because of the look on my sister's face. Her response was something along the lines of, he already is. And I lost it. I was terrified that that could ever be a possibility. Then the other thing I remember is as it got later, one of them asked me if I had slept at all since 2.30 that morning, which of course I had not, and I couldn't sleep. I was like frenetic. I made some kind of comment about if I go to sleep, then wake up, more than 24 hours has passed, and that greatly diminishes his chances of coming home. And every time I sleep, it would make it less likely he was coming home. And I had to do everything I could to support him so he could find his way back. I was in my bathroom brushing my teeth and getting ready for bed when my phone rang. I remember it being nine o'clock. I thought that was an interesting hour that the coroner's office would be calling me back again. And of course, no one was in there to listen. The gentleman this time that called, said that they had forgotten to ask me a couple of questions and was wondering if I could answer them. I said, yes, I could, but would he answer mine first? I said, can I come and see him? Can I come and see my son? He said, no, I'm sorry. We can't allow you to do that. So I asked if I could come and get Brock's phone and wallet. And again, he responded, no, he couldn't allow that. However, That would be at the funeral director's office, and I could pick it up there once they picked Brock up, and I would be notified of when that was. So now can I answer these questions, please? And he was really quite wonderful. I was very irritated and determined, panicky nearly, that I really, really needed to see Brock, and I needed to get his phone and wallet. So that's all I could think of is, be really nice. Be very nice to this man, and maybe he'll let you go see Brock. The questions that he asked me was, one, did Brock have COVID? And two, had he been vaccinated for COVID? Those questions really irritated me that they would call me back to ask those questions. But again, all I wanted was to go see my son. So I was very, very polite, but it didn't matter. He still didn't let me go. Well, if I was sleepy at all, that really got the juices flowing again. And any chance of sleep was out the window. So, I spent the night in Brock's bed talking to him, asking him to come close so I could still feel him and smell him and be with him. Once again, just reliving the story has been far more emotional and taxing than I expected. You can probably tell by the different cutoffs and intonations of my voice. I had to stop this one a lot and collect myself. So, I'm going to end here for now and come back with some of the thoughts and lessons that I've learned this far, and then what happened next. If you have not yet joined the Facebook group, but you would like to, we would love to have you. It's private, and you just need to agree to the rules. This is a great group of insightful, knowledgeable, wise people who have really very cool conversations. Also, All of the retreats or any ideas that I have, I run past the Facebook group first. And I also sell crystals, uh, gems, stones in there that I haven't gotten on the website yet. So it's kind of the insiders group. Also, if you would like to check out the website, it is majonadon.com. And my email is admin at majonadon.com. On the website, there are explanations for the sessions that I offer. The events are posted on there when it's all finalized. And there's merchandise. And there's, oh, so much other stuff. So I would love to hear from you for questions or topics for podcasts. Or if you just want to chat. That's very cool, too. So until next time, namaste.